You're listening to the Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Brought to you by Abercrombie and Kent, pioneering experiential luxury travel since 1962. Buckle up and take off every fortnight to spectacular destinations as we share the inside word on all things travel. Whether you're into luxury travel or tripping on a budget, whether it's river cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an awesome travel experience. Tune in with Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. And be sure to like and share this episode so everyone can get a taste of all things travel and now on to the show with your host from Christchurch New Zealand Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch Hi there, welcome aboard to another fresh episode of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. And I'm Mike Yardley. We're coming to you from Christchurch, New Zealand, where each fortnight a fresh episode of Kiwi Tripsters will drop, loaded up with first-hand travel insights from around New Zealand and the world. And we do have cool giveaways too, so it's great to have you along for the ride. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Look, coming up, how do you bust that fear of flying? But first, have you ever fancied spending a night in royal residence? Can you actually stay at a house where some of the rich and famous live, Mike, you actually can. Well, there's actually a surprising amount of regal accommodation experiences to be found in the UK, and they don't necessarily have to break the bank. So Mm. I'm sure you've probably seen with a lot of those fancy hotels around the world, they will claim that you will be treated like royalty with their five-star frills, but the fact remains that not even the fanciest um, of facials or triple-digit cotton thread counts substitutes for bedding down in a real-deal royal residence. You've done this? Yeah, I've checked out a few of them, and there seem to be uh, more and more royal residences in the UK that are opening up, even if it's just for part of the year, um, the opportunity to stay overnight, including on uh, the grand grounds of Balmoral, the Queen's Scottish Castle. I, I didn't know you could even do this. Yeah, it, um, it's probably actually quite a good little uh, revenue earner uh, <laughs> for the British royal family. It's not like they need the money, though, is it? No, it's not. But I suppose it is sort of like the royal version of Airbnb. Okay. Um, well, let's start with, say, the likes of Scotland, where you've got the, the Castle of May. Yeah, this is high up in Sutherland. It's the most northerly castle on the British mainland, and um, it's got a huge history, quite a bloodstained history. And then the Queen Mother actually bought the castle after the death of her husband, gave it a massive restoration. In fact, the restoration took half a century to complete. And she spent several weeks at the Castle of May, every August and October until her death. And the castle first became uh, a royal residence open for paying guests. It was the first of the lot in the royal collection. And you stay in what is called the Captain's House cottage, which actually was the Queen Mother's favourite spot to enjoy an indoor picnic, as you do, Chris. Wow, how big is it? Um, Well, it's got a 20-foot conservatory inside, which overlooks an enclosed garden, and you've got big sort of sweeping sea views of the Scottish coast. So, yeah, it's very impressive. Wow. Um, What about the Osborne House? Yeah, just off the mainland, uh, down south, the Isle of Wight. It's a a fabulous island escape, and this is where Osborne House is located. It was absolutely beloved by Queen Victoria, uh, and her and Albert uh, used it as a family holiday home. The formal entrance, uh, Sovereign's Gate, has welcomed... The, the who's who of European aristocracy over the centuries, everyone from Napoleon to Russian czars. 
And it also was where Victoria made her final departure, passing away uh, at Osborne House. Nowadays, the grand entrance, that Sovereign's Gate, is only used by the royal family, but they've got two holiday apartments inside Osborne House. They each sleep four people. Um, and um, you can, uh, yeah, um, hire it out, um, you know, for a few days or a week, even longer. I can't decide by looking at the photos that I was looking at before whether it's tacky or beautiful. When you were <laughs> there, what did it feel like? Did you, did you did it feel like royalty? Yeah, it did. Or did it, it did? Yeah. Okay. And I think it's because you've got all of that, that guilt uh, on the walls. Yeah, and um, a lot of that sort of uh, bright gold uh, tapestry and furnishings. Some might find it a bit much, a bit over the top, but it certainly has that impression of um, you're in regal surrounds. It does look nice. I think I'm just pretending to dislike it because I probably would love to live like that, actually. (laughs) Um, Now, I didn't realise this, but some royal pads allow overnight visitors when the Queen is not in residence. Is that actually true? Yeah. Now, a really good example is Sandringham, where the royal family, although not Meghan and Harry this year, converge for Christmas at Sandringham House in Norfolk. Um, And this is very much one of uh, the Queen's favourite residences. Uh, But when she is not in residence, or the family aren't having Christmas there, the cottages that house her travelling staff on the estate are available to let. So Mm. if you're not invited uh, to Sandringham for Christmas lunch this year, Chris, uh, this is the next best thing. And uh, what was also formerly the head gardener's house is available to rent year-round. And that's like fabulously appointed with your fully fitted kitchen. You've got three twin rooms, two bathrooms, your drawing room, your dining room, your sitting room. You will feel like royalty in that. Um, And the other interesting property on the estate at Sandringham is called Park House, which was actually the childhood home of Diana, the Princess of Wales. And the Queen actually transformed Park House into a hotel for disabled people and their companions. So, um, yeah, disabled guests can enjoy a revitalising holiday there, which I think is a really nice touch. What's the deal with Balmoral Castle? Yeah, well, this is the grandest of them all because um, high up in the Scottish Highlands, obviously it's once again a a favourite residence of the Queen. You've got um, 20,000 hectares of forests and locks wrapped around the property. And for mere mortals, you can rent in one of the six holiday cottages on the royal grounds with views, very intimate views of Balmoral Castle. So when the family Family aren't in, aren't in residence at Balmoral, they can be rented on a weekly basis, those cottages. I bet you that doesn't come cheap. They're not too bad. Um, for five people, uh, you could uh, rent a property which will house five people for about a thousand New Zealand dollars a week. So, you know, on a nightly basis, what are you talking about? 150 bucks a night. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Yeah. It's not, no butlers. <laughs> uh, you can actually take up that option of having a local chef. Uh, bring you home-cooked meals around the clock uh, and other services. Okay, I'm in. I don't <laughs> want to think when I go on holiday, I don't yeah. want to cook a meal, that's for sure. Fair enough. Uh, I want to move now to um, Hampton Court Palace. That's very popular, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, very much in London. In fact, it probably was like the Playboy mansion of the Tudor period because uh, this was Henry VIII's uh Palace, a real pleasure palace. Uh, lots of seriously debauched parties took place there, right on the banks of the, the Thames River. And um, 
there is the apartment called Georgian House on site next to the main palace, which um, comes with a complete private walled garden and views over uh, the palace rooftops. That is available for hire year round. I think Buckingham Palace should be offering some kind of B&B service. Oh, incredibly. So many people write to Buckingham Palace asking them if they can take um, a room or two for the night. Um, there is no sign of it, but I tell you what, the next best thing right across the road, the Rubens Hotel, the Rubens at the Palace Hotel, it probably has the unique distinction of being the Queen's closest neighbour because right across the road you've got the Royal Muse where they've got all their carriages, all of the horses are kept there, the, the Queen's uh, stables. Uh, you can hear the Queen's piper perform his morning palace ritual um, from your hotel, the Rubens. And, um, and what time does that start? Oh, very early. I think it's seven o'clock from memory in the morning. Very early. Is um, it a touristy thing or is it a actual traditional? Very traditional. Yeah, the Queen insists on it. And wherever she is staying around the UK, let's suppose she's in Balmoral or Sandringham, yeah. the piper goes with her and still performs that morning ritual. Wherever she is in the world. Isn't that bizarre? Well, it's tradition, Chris. It's tradition. So, yeah, lots of options there for royal residences and uh, just Google any any of those properties and you'll find the booking oh, and, information. And, yeah, and the photos yeah. that, are, that come up are just um, absolutely breathtaking. Just ahead, Viva Las Vegas. Is the Las Vegas Strip your kind of place, Chris? Oh, <laughs> is it what? I absolutely love Las Vegas. It's one of my favourite cities to visit in the world. Because for a number of reasons, when I got off the plane, I was thinking, am I in for a really tacky experience? Is this just going to be so over the top and tacky, I'm going to really hate it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. The minute I got to my first hotel, which was in the Paris Hotel, I thought it was brilliant. The minute you you get into your hotel, everything is luxurious. The hotels in Las Vegas are quite reasonably priced because there's so many of them, particularly down the Strip. So I've stayed in the Las Vegas Hotel, the MGM Hotel, which is further uh, south of Las Vegas. But the actual Strip itself, I would describe the Las Vegas Strip similar to an adult version of Disneyland. Totally. Everything in some respects is fake. Everything is so commercialized, Americanized, but in a way that you will just indulge and love it. Mm -hmm. But also what I felt interesting was when you go from the different hotels, if you want to have a bit of a look around, every hotel is connected by or via an underground luxurious mall. Yes. So you can be stuck between hotels for hours on end just looking at all the luxury products and items you probably can't afford but just love to look at. Mm-hmm. It is just, there is something there for everyone. And even if you're not really into the shows, you don't really like a circus, you don't like Liza Minnelli or, or any, of the, any of the stuff that, that Las Vegas is synonymous with, yeah. there is always going to be a show there that you are going to love and you will never, ever get bored. No. I find Las Vegas in a very similar way to you. Um, I find it, Sort of like an escapist destination for non-stop gratification. Mm. Um, and it's it is. not real, is it? It's not no, real, though. It's totally trippy. Totally trippy. Yeah. Very superficial. Um, just a blaze of temptation, really. And um, that walk along the Las Vegas Strip, if you do the whole length of it, mm. it is a hell of a workout. I don't know if the concrete in Nevada is particularly hard or harder than what we're used to here, mm. but I just find that concrete walk um, along the strip 
really hard on your legs. Like if you do the whole length of it. It is actually. But yeah. I think probably the reason being is because the hotels, the exterior of the hotels, they offer entertainment, free entertainment. You think about yep. if you go down the hotels, you can see there's a lighting display. Of course, you've got your fountains at, um, is it the Palagio Hotel yes. there? Yep. Uh, you can go to Pretend Venice. Yes. I mean, even just walking through the hotels or or past the hotels is an entertainment experience in itself. Yeah, that I is I feel like true. I'm back there now because you, you don't get bored, but you get overwhelmed. And I always remember my friend said to me, and this is very good advice, she said, just be really careful to take it easy on your first two days because it is overwhelming on your senses and you just need to take a few deep breaths and it can be a little bit overpowering. And I'm so glad she said that to me mm. because she was right. You walk into any of the fancy hotels there, there are no clocks on the walls mm. because time just passes whenever you like in Las Vegas and things do get quite overwhelming. There's so much lights. There's the air conditioning so can be coarse on your throat because people are allowed to smoke Yeah, that's in, in the casinos. So I'm really glad she said just take it easy because it can be really, really trippy. Yeah. What I would suggest is if you are a first-timer to Vegas, do it in bite-sized chunks. And on one trip, all I focused on in Vegas was staking out a sense of old Las Vegas, golden age Vegas. And a really good place to start on that front is Fremont Street, um, which is um, not far from the main Las Vegas strip as we know it today, but it's very much where... Vegas was born. It's the cradle of Vegas. Um, and uh, the city's oldest hotel, the Golden Gate, is now over 110 years old. That is still there at the head of Fremont Street. Um, you can also um, see all sorts of um, uh, icons, I suppose, of Golden Age Vegas, like um, the really old casino hotels, the Golden Nugget, Four Queens, California, and Binion's, uh, all on uh, Fremont Street. And Betty Binion was actually quite the trailblazer in Vegas. She is the woman who introduced seating and carpets to casinos. She pioneered that. <laughs> and she also pioneered the rather insidious, dangerous allure of complimentary drinks for casino patrons. So mm. a lot of history there. And, of course, if you really want to take in the whole Fremont Street experience um, in a more aerial fashion, Chris, there is that uh, zipline, Slotzilla, which tears you above Ooh, Fremont Street, no. 12 stories high. I saw that. No, I had a look, yeah. but, but no, thank you very okay. much. There is, you're right, that old Las Vegas is absolute contrasting to what you see on the Strip, isn't it? It is. It's quite quaint in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I do like the commercialism vibe of, of the yes. Strip. Yeah. And that the vibe. contemporary you know, bling. The first time I was there, I had no idea that the drinks in the casinos mm. are all basically free mm-hmm. if, if you tip the barman or, yes. or, or woman. I didn't realise that. Yes. And only if you're gambling. Yeah. I had no idea. And wasn't yeah. until I went back there yeah. uh, the, the after. These are the things you learn, you, you see, know, the, on did repeat you, travel. And did you know about the $20 trick? No, tell me. Well, and it worked. <laughs> if you, I don't know whether well, I should say this now, but if you give um, the receptionist at the hotel $20 with your passport and say, have you got any complimentary upgrades? Right. They will say yes, sir, or no, sir, depending on if they, they can do that. And if they do, you get it for free, of course, yes. and they keep the 20 bucks. Now, I don't know whether that's just something where it's maybe I'm the fool 
for buying into it. <laughs> but I felt but it like, a, while, I, while I thought it worked, <laughs> when I was staying at the Paris Hotel, I, I did the $20 trick and I thought I was staying in the most luxurious room. And the property. One. Yeah. Fantastic. There you go. You, you're a bit of a fan of the old museums, aren't you? There are plenty yeah. of museums um, in Las Vegas. A couple that I think are really good to check out, the Mob Museum. Um, it gives you a real warts and all look at the ruthless world of organised crime, which engulfed Las Vegas in years gone by. Uh, you've got really macabre photographic galleries of mob killings. So nothing is left to the imagination there. There's also the Hollywood Cars Museum. Liberace's favourite Rolls Royces were added to the collection a couple of years ago. And also at that museum, you can see the DeLorean from Back to the Future, Herbie the Love Bug, um, five James Bond cars, including the Lotus Esprit submarine car. Uh, the Coffin Dragster from the Munsters is there, General Lee from the Jukes of Hazard, and Kit from Knight Rider. A Charlie Museum that I didn't do, but I felt like I had enough lights for one session, was the Neon Museum. You've been there, haven't you? I've been there once. I absolutely loved it. And if you're into um, filling your, your Instagram feed, this place is a feast. It's like a boneyard of neon signs. Um, very much an intimate stroll with Vegas history. There are over 200 signs in their stash. A lot of them are vintage neon signs. Some of the earliest neon signs that went up in the city. And um, it has become, um, yeah, globally recognised as a museum. Some of the standout specimens from those signs, by the way, the Stardust, these are like real old-time Vegas institutions, the Stardust, Sahara and Desert Inn, all of their neon signs are there. And quite often now, when a hotel or a casino is being demolished, they'll make sure all of that uh, neon um, signage goes to the museum. Well, that's something, I suppose, because we. what about this whole notion of a casino death watch? That actually exists, doesn't it? It does. I was actually in Vegas uh, a few years ago when the Riviera uh, Hotel was being imploded. It was the most fabulous spectacle, a controlled implosion, and it's sort of like a Monopoly board game on a giant scale, uh, following all of the plans of casinos and hotels that are closing down or being refurbed or are actually being imploded. And you can actually go to a website called larevealed.com forward slash death watch to, to find out what properties are due for a controlled implosion. Do you think there are many of those that are, that are being, that they have that? Well, I, it's interesting. Apparently in the last few years, there's been a bit of a change towards refurbishment as mm. opposed to levelling it and starting again. But that is just so Las Vegas, isn't it? If you yeah. want to build a hotel, well, don't don't bother upgrading, just bulldoze bowl it and yeah. bowl it and, yeah. and do it again. I know. Um, you've been to the Wayne Newton mansion. Yeah, just another quick uh, tip on the heritage front. Um, his mansion, Casa de Shenandoah, is staggering and... Um, Entertainment Tonight actually have dubbed this the Smithsonian of Sin City because there is so much Vegas memorabilia and history uh, at his estate, uh, at this casa. And he's got his own Arabian horses. He's very big into breeding Arabian horses. So you can see the stables. He's got a magnificent car collection, all sorts of personal memorabilia, uh, like all um, all of the uh, letters he's received from wow. people like Elvis and Michael Jackson, seven American presidents have dined at his estate. So, yeah, uh, Wayne Newton very much embodies Vegas star power and uh, a tour of his mansion is fabulous. Best show in Vegas. 
Well, I really enjoyed seeing the Jersey Boys in Vegas, the musical. Oh, yeah. I've seen it in, in a couple of places. I've seen it in Christchurch. Yeah, I've seen it in Christchurch. I've seen it in Sydney. But the Vegas production, I think, was the best I've ever seen. If you are wanting to check out some shows, uh, some of the new ones coming up uh, in residence over the next few months, Sheer uh, is in Vegas for a couple of months early next year. Aerosmith Sting, Mariah Carey is going to be in residence in early 2020. Also Barry Manilow, God bless him. Uh, what have you seen in Vegas, Chris? Britney Spears. Yes. Uh, Celine Dion. Celine Dion doesn't perform there anymore, nor does Britney. But I think the likes of Britney Spears, she has really managed to capture a younger market. Las Vegas is now not seen as a place where the stars go to die. It's a place where a lot of the stars go to continue mm. to perform because it's stable on their lifestyle. They don't have to move. It's not a travelling circus. And that's why you've got the likes of Lady Gaga that now performs there. She's got a residency there that's really popular. Yeah. And some of these other big pop stars that have decided it's easier. They don't have to go other places and travel around the world. Mm. Celine Dion was good fun. I've seen Sheer live in concert. That's always fun. Yeah. And the thing is with these concerts is that they make them so they're so outrageous and they're such a high spectacle in terms of production values. Even if you you're not a fan of pop music or, or some of the artists, if you go and have a look and you can get cheap seats, mm. there's still something to see, aren't they? Absolutely. They're, they're so over the top and so, and the production is is first class, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Even a silly old magic show, which I'm not a big yeah. fan of magic. Well, David Copperfield is still a huge yeah. draw to Vegas. Yeah, always sold out yeah. night after night. It is. How does he do that? It's incredible. By the way, one other show that, um, if you're a bit of a nostalgia buff, a really good show to see, which actually gives you sort of like an encapsulation of all of the heritage and glory of Vegas over the years, is called Vegas The Show. And it's been running for about seven years now. Still hugely popular. Uh, lots of sort of like Rat Pack music uh, to the show. Um, very much a, um, a, a reflection on the golden age of Vegas. It's about 75 minutes long. Um, lots of um, blockbusters in the in the show. So that's a really good one to check out as well. And if you ever wondered where the America's Got Talent stars go, yes. some of them, some of the good eggs actually end up there and they are great. Um, coming up. What proportion of people are freaked out by flying and how to get your, your nerves more centred on that flight, that long-haul flight that is next? Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. Abercrombie and Kent was born on safari in East Africa in the early 1960s. It's grown to become the world leader in luxury adventure travel. Now with 56 offices and more than 2,500 travel experts on the ground around the world, Abercrombie and Kent takes the world's most discerning travellers on exquisite journeys in more than 100 countries and all seven continents. This is luxury travel redefined, taking you out of your comfort zone in exquisite comfort on handcrafted, bespoke, private and small group journeys and luxury expedition cruises. Talk to your travel agent, call Abercrombie & Kent on 0800 441 or visit abercrombiekent.co.nz. So of course, if you love travelling like Mike and I do though, but maybe you might be scared of flying. And Mike, there actually are quite a lot of people that are scared of flying. Apparently a quarter of us are beset with this flying phobia. It's not something that I have been struck with personally, but I have witnessed it many, many times firsthand uh, in flight. I've seen 
a number of people disembark a plane before takeoff. Like they just can't go through with the flight. Wow. Um, overcome with anxiety and panic about staying on board. So they they bailed. And recently when I was heading home from the States a couple of months ago, the person next to me was gripping the armrest like her life depended on it. And I reckon over the course of a 12-hour flight, she was in that state with her arms on this armrest for about eight hours. And I tried to settle her, but nothing really seemed to be working. She was nervousness personified, Chris. I feel sorry for smokers who can't smoke. But Maybe that was her problem. Yeah, but they equally hate flying. <laughs> but there are ways to conquer your fear of flying, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, just the booze, right? Well, that's probably what a lot of people reach to, to mask their fears. Just, yeah, they, they basically self-medication um, with the booze. Um, it is not a lasting solution, and I know this sounds very girly swat, but boning up on how a plane works can actually help demystify your fears. Knowledge is power when it comes mm. to, you know, the basics of flight. Um, and I think everyone should reassure themselves by the fact that commercial aviation has such a spectacular safety record. And then just getting your head around some of the basic physics of flight. I've always been fascinated by the fact that even if all of the engines fail on a, on a modern jet <laughs> yes. flying at, you know, 35,000, 40,000 feet, uh, it can glide with no engine power for nearly 200k. Well, that's reassuring because my brother always sends me um, the script from Air Crash Investigation before I go on a long-haul <laughs> fly, which is probably not the best thing to do to really try and wind me up. But uh, um, it's interesting, is it? The same thing, I don't like turbulence, but it does yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, but that is so routine. It's actually very, very normal. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I have a theory that compared to being bounced around on a bumpy or a rough road... In-flight turbulence feels so much worse because we naturally feel powerless because our feet are not on the ground. Mm. And I think, you know, because we haven't got that terra firma underneath us, we naturally feel, instinctively, we feel vulnerable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just think of the times I've been on, you know, rough and rutted roads in Christchurch post-earthquake, and it's so much worse, the movement, than what you get uh, when it comes to uh, turbulence in a plane. Clear air turbulence is a nasty thing. That, you know, is the one that literally comes out of the blue, no warning, uh, and that can be violent. But all aircraft are built to withstand even the most extreme turbulence imaginable. I think you're right. Do your research first about aircraft, aviation, yeah. the, the mechanics of it, and you will feel better. Yeah. I've got to say, I always find cabin crew excellent. Yeah, and every time I've spoken to the hosties about fearful flyers, they've always said to me how... A passenger who is feeling anxious should never, ever hesitate to let them know. Um, mm. And an Air New Zealand flight attendant a few months ago told me that his top tips are pressure points and breathing control because, as he pointed out, it is impossible to panic when you can control your breathing. So if you're feeling anxious even before takeoff, breathe in for four seconds, exhale for four seconds. Alternatively, Firmly press the skin between your thumb and your index finger, that sort of, you know, flaccid bit of mm. extra bit of skin. The pressure point is linked to anxiety. So if you really press hard on that piece of skin between your thumb and your index finger, that will help you remain calm. 
That's just that's just deferred pain, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sounding like Dr. Mike here, aren't I? <laughs> and next up, natural path options. <laughs> um, you were also saying before too, in terms of if you're feeling a bit nervous about flying, uh, sort of short bites first. Yeah, so very start much. with the short haul flights, then get longer, and, and then you'll get more confidence. Exactly. I think the worst thing you could do if you are a potentially fearful flyer is do not book a return trip to Europe as the very first time you've been on a plane. That's probably not the you know, best operating practice. So start with those short haul flights and, and then build it up from there. Um, and visualise things. Visualise a safe takeoff and a safe landing. And if you search Google, there are all sorts of online courses that are geared at taming your fears. And a lot of them are using VR, virtual reality programs, um, to help overcome your sky-high anxieties. See, that's a good idea. Mm. Um, useless information. One of the lead singers from Atomic Kit in the UK pop girl band. Yes. Uh, she refuses to fly, so they can't tour the world because she's scared of flying. So you just have a virtual concert now, Yes, of, of Atomic Kitten. <laughs> there you go. Um, I can't believe there are courses you can do, though. Yeah. That's there's weird. Actually, there's actually been a fear-busting course, uh, Flying Without Fear, operating mm. in New Zealand for nearly 40 years. It was actually established by Air New Zealand and a guy called Grant Amos. He is still the program director, and it's like a group course. Uh, it runs over four nights in various venues across New Zealand, and at the end of the course, it culminates in an optional flight at the end. So they reckon they have a 90% success record in busting that fear of flying. The website is flyok.co.nz. If you're looking for a New Zealand accommodation experience with a difference, you recommend... Campbell Park Estate. Just by its very name, it sounds pretty luxurious, so you better tell me. Well, it's deep in the Waitaki Valley in the South Island, Chris, so if you are itching for somewhere out of the way, a bucolic escape this summer with um, plenty of history, this is absolutely an out-of-the-box destination, Campbell Park Estate. It's got the most amazing backstory, lots of pioneering spirit and a dark side, and you've also got a smashing setting, you know, in terms of uh, the scenery. It's a back-of-beyond bolt hole, so you've got all these destinations very close to Campbell Park Estate, Omaru, Wanaka, Danzies Pass, Omarama, and of course the gems of the Waitaki Valley. It's only been recently reopened, hasn't it, to, to guests? Yeah, uh, in the last year or so. Uh, so Campbell yeah. Park Estate uh, reopened for accommodation, and it's at really good value rates. So you can get um, like a fabulous character home or cottage uh, with three or four bedrooms. You can even bring your pets. They've all been tastefully renovated and modernised by the current owners. You've got, you've got polished removed floors, lots of wood panelling. Some of the homes are actually built in Omaru stone, and um, the property passed into Chinese hands a couple of years ago, which was quite controversial. But yeah, a fellow called Richard Yan became the sole owner of this 32-hectare estate. It's got quite an amazing history too because it was founded by Mr. William Dancy himself, wasn't it? Yeah, the pioneering Otago run holder. He purchased and lived on the cattle station, the sheep and cattle station, which later became Campbell Park Estate. He started living there in 1857 and Danzi is credited for establishing that Alpine Trail through from North Otago to Central Otago, Danzi's Pass. Um, and he built the first house on the estate in 1861, Danzi's Hut. You can see that it's still there. It was one of North Otago's first recorded buildings. And while I was admiring his hut, this rustic Omaru stone shack, a really sad little reality check. Two of his children 
suddenly died shortly after he built this hut and they had been eating uh, poisonous tutu uh, in the bushes Ooh. just uh, by, the, by the hut. So they're buried on the hill above his cottage. Danzy was so upset he sold the property to Robert Campbell, who was uh, from wealthy Scottish stock and he also owned huge tracts of the surrounding farmland. It looks absolutely beautiful. It looks beautiful. There are some historic gems, though, inside this whole complex, aren't there? Yeah, you can still see where the Campbells quarried limestone from the hills on the estate. Uh, many of the estate buildings, the limestone obviously was sourced from that quarry. And an amazing little piece of history, limestone from this quarry was used as ballast in ships, making the return journey from New Zealand to Australia. And a lot of the uh, limestone ended up building Circular Quay in Sydney. So when you look at all those limestone blocks around Circular Quay, oh. that actually came from Campbell Park Estate in the 19th century. Um, you've got a fabulous homestead there, which um, has been re, uh, restored. And the centrepiece of the whole property is the castle. This mm. was New Zealand's first castle. So if you've heard about Larnock Castle in Dunedin, well, this is actually older. Uh, this is a 35-room baronial mansion, and Campbell actually got a whole lot of craftsmen to come out from Scotland with materials from Scotland and Italy to build his, his trophy home. That is currently undergoing an extensive restoration, but it's just the most extraordinary site rising up from the Waitaki Valley. I love the look at it. It looks beautiful, and it's got a movie feel about it, and I'm guessing... Movies have been made there, haven't they? Incredibly a lot, probably more than you realise. Um, and it's because it's such a knockout setting, mm. uh, that's what has captured the imagination of Hollywood. But yeah, it's been used uh, for Willow, Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, The Lord of the Rings, uh, the whole trilogy were filmed in the, the Waitaki Valley. When I was there, we actually took our bikes with us, my family, and um, the estate is fabulous to explore on bike. As I mentioned, you can also take your pets, but um, that castle, that centrepiece castle yeah. lording over the whole uh, estate does add a sense of the fairy tale Dumb question. to the whole experience. Can you actually stay inside that castle? Not yet, but once it's been fully restored, I would imagine that will be an option. Because that's what I want to do. Then yes. I can save myself the trip and not do all the, <laughs> the royal UK stuff. Indeed. Okay, that sounds nice. It's beautiful, it's, and it's re very New Zealand, isn't it? Very much the so. The surroundings is very, very New Zealand. Now, before we go, we've got your chance to win courtesy of Lonely Planet, the world's number one travel guidebook brand. Yes, if you want to be in the draw for a copy of Lonely Planet's Guide to Las Vegas, uh -huh. subscribe and comment on this podcast on the Apple podcast page and your feedback will put you in the Lonely Planet draw. Good luck. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we would love your feedback on anything we've discussed or anything you'd like us to discuss. Please don't hesitate to engage with Chris and I yeah. because travel is best shared. And our show <laughs> notes are listed on the website kiwitripsters.co.nz. Thanks to Abercrombie and Kent, our sponsor, for making this podcast possible. Yeah, and our new episode will be released a couple of weeks' time. We'd love you to, to subscribe to our channel if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, everywhere and, and anywhere, really. <laughs> and on the next episode, we will be including some tips on stopping over in Doha and spotting celebs in LA. Oh, we, oh, I'm up with that one. Uh, plus, we'll take a ride on the Indian Pacific. Catch you in a fortnight. Until then, travel well. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? 
Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Oh, 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 oh,